0: Life Delicious, the podcast, is more than the food we eat. It's what else in life that makes us feel, be, and act delicious.
1: We'll have conversations about real life, its messiness, and the things we can't live without
0: the ups, the downs, and the things we do on the daily to maintain our health, strength, and our balance. We'll talk about the unconventional wisdom and the alternative practices used in raising families, from healing to sex, because life's juicy. We are so excited and so ready to share how we make life
1: delicious every day and how you can too. This is a
0: Soulfire production.
1: First and foremost, can I say welcome back? I'm back from my trip. I'm so excited to be here at this table in our home recording with you. It was a much needed trip. I'm so grateful for the space. Lots of exciting things to come, which will be shared at a later date, but so glad to be back here with you, Mama.
0: Hmm. I'm glad to have you back, Meg. Yeah. And what a great topic today to really talk about. I know that we've been wanting to since we started this uh, 12 episodes ago. And by we, let's get real. This is you. This oh. is your favorite. Well, I do love talking about sex, which is our topic today. We're talking sex talk today, which if you've ever had a class with us, if you know me, if you know Meg's and me, you know, and our kids, um, I know that we are sexual human beings. You You know, are a very sexual human being. Every time I think about it, I
1: just hear the song. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me.
0: Let's talk about all the good things (laughs) About it, like because it's really like, sex is fun. Exactly, <laughs> and that's what I want to make it. I mean, like with anything that I personally do in life, Meg, mm-hmm. is I want to have fun. Yeah. I want to have a good time because yeah. life has its ups and downs and we know that. So with certain topics like sex, um, depending on whatever age you're at, which today we're going to really start at the beginning of... You know, how do you communicate about sex and how do you, you know, really look at your own personal fears and stories and intimate times around it so that it's comfortable that you're able to really talk about it?
1: Yeah. And I also think it's so important. Parents with kids, friends, sisters, siblings, whatever it is. That we have this conversation because I know for myself personally, our education system really isn't teaching you about it. They're just teaching you not to do it here in the United States. It is (laughs) very much abstinence. And let's get real.
0: That's not happening. No. No. And that's just it. And it starts really young because, you know, human nature is to be curious. And who is the most curious of all humans? Children.
1: Yes. I mean, how many questions do you get asked from kids? I love it. Why? (laughs) Why? How is that? Why does that work? (laughs) Yeah. Why? (laughs) It's like they're little investigators. They want to know. They're learning. They're sponges. And I think this is, I mean, also in the light of, all of the craziest that's happen, happening, we just had, it was end world children human trafficking that just was on the other Monday or so, um, just this past week for us. So it's really relevant. I think having a conversation and teaching kids an awareness around sex, what is and isn't okay, what you are okay with, just general information is So important. And I think because our culture for so long has educated us through abstinence, there has become this crazy taboo and fear and discomfort around talking about something that is very natural, how all of us were made. That's right.
0: Sex, just that word, you know, sex, it's kind of like when we say the word fuck, how many different meanings the word fuck has, you know, in it. But the thing around sex is, you know, you get this feeling depending on how you were raised as a child.
1: Or your experiences around it. Because I think how you're raised, I think it's the, what we've experienced I'm a very much so an experiential learner, as I feel like a lot of people are. Through your experiences, you develop your understanding of some things. So from a young age, have you experienced sexual trauma? Have your Were your parents not openly talking to you about it? Did you not have somebody in your life talking to you about it? Or witnessing people in love making out? Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which uh, we didn't do any of that. Oh my we, God.
1: Man? I remember being so <laughs> embarrassed by my parents. Every day, having a nice makeout session before they left each other, their eight hugs that they do. I mean, we know physical touch, human connection, love. It releases serotonin
0: and dopamine. It, it, it makes us happy. Right. It brings us pleasure. We need it. Exactly. So perfect example, when children start realizing, "Ooh, I got body parts on me that actually bring me pleasure. And, you know, they're curious because like we said, kids are curious by nature. So what happens when, you know, your child first starts that exploration part? You know, well, we had girls, but all of our friends had boys. And I remember that, you know, when the boys would have a heart on and, you know, start playing with themselves. And what was the knee-jerk there? Of uh, reaction of, ooh, stop that. That's so inappropriate. You know, it's it's like yucky or ew. And how are you making that child actually? feel in that moment about what they're doing. Oh my goodness, it's so true. And it's also such
1: a fine line because as not an auntie yet, but like an auntie to my friend's kids, like one of my best friends since high school has two little boys. And I remember the first time, like they were young and we're watching TV and their hands are in their pants. And I'm like, is this normal? And she's like, oh my goodness, Megan. Like it is wild from the moment that they know how to use their hands boys, it's on their junk. Like it
0: is, (laughs) it's so funny. But that's funny that you say junk. It's on their penis. And it's like, that's just it is that, you know, how do we relate to our organs, whether it's a vagina or a penis or whatever. And people get so like kind of ooey about it, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not something that's always necessarily comfortable. And you know, for me growing up, my, like my dad, he, he made it a thing. Do not walk around naked. Do, you know, just cover up. And I'm like, oh, I I just thought that was so strange because I was
1: funny because we have such a different household where this was a naked house, (laughs) granted all girls. So it was always like sprinting from one room to the next. So that dad didn't see us when we were older, but like, You know, the level of comfort with your body and the awareness and, you know, it is like, I love that you, you know, didn't necessarily grow up that way, but for your
0: own experience you wanted to create for your children, you shifted it. Exactly. Because my dad was one way, but my mom was completely the opposite. My mom was a naked being too, yeah, you know? And so- I think that's where I got it from, mm-hmm. that feeling. And and then also just my friends. I think my friends really taught me, you know, that it's okay to be just, you know, bear all. You know, those were the times. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s yes, and yes. bearing all was what we did back then. I was in the wrong era. No. Grew up in the wrong era. No. <laughs> but but it's it's really interesting because I think, you know, getting back to our reactions to when, you know, a child, you know, first starts to explore and, you know, gain pleasure and and they're caught, so to speak, doing it, is that reaction is really important. Well, that's going to be the first memory they have around it. And whether it's like something
1: that is more positive, not as shameful, so that they might not necessarily remember, they're not going to hold on to it, it's not going to trigger them, or it could be something that's very shameful that then causes self-awareness from a very young age, which then they have to start unraveling, and is that necessary your child's or is that your implication something that you've put onto them now? And I think it's so important to just as a parent to understand like what are like where do you even begin with kids? I mean, as not a parent yet, I, I just have to, I'm so curious for you as a mom of four having. Taught sex ed in. Well, I wanna I wanna take a step back before yeah. you even do that. because well, I th- I'm just saying as your your uh, what is it called? Your credentials. Your <laughs> My credentials. Your credentials a, school teacher, middle
0: school your teacher. Your credentials, no, your credentials as a sex educator. <laughs> oh well, wait, we're gonna take a step back because I think it's really important that parents understand as well what you say, how you react, can create, you know these beliefs that you start having at a very young age about how do I feel about pleasure? How do I feel about, you know, creating my own pleasure as a young child? You know, am I doing something wrong? Am I, is this bad? Will mommy or daddy not love me anymore? Because they look really upset about what I was doing. And then there's silence. There's no conversation around what just happened. Rather, to be able to have a conversation when you catch your child or like you were saying, the boys. I grew up with dad, you know, since I'm 15 and there were five boys and a girl and every boy watching TV had their hands. In their pants. In their pants.
1: Okay. So I think this is, where do you begin? That's what I was trying to get to. And I was, right. I was trying to fluff you up before you started talking. <laughs> as I was saying, as I was like a mom of four girls and being a special ed teacher and having taught this to your students in being just a teacher in general? Like, where do you begin?
0: I think one of the first places where I began was, again, we'll go back to, I'll refer to this many times probably in our podcast, is that setting up that foundation with your children. And in episode five, we really talked about what does it take to set up a strong family foundation and communication. Yeah. And that to me has always been the backbone of our family. Yeah. Everybody felt safe, felt heard. They were, you know, there was opportunity to listen. That right there allows you to have fair game to talk about whatever you want.
1: And I think starting it back, in order to set that family foundation, you have to have that self awareness. You have to really have those, be willing to have those conversations. Like we, I mean, that, in that episode, we do talk about like you and your partner, whoever it's with, but it's getting comfortable with slightly uncomfortable conversations if that
0: wasn't your upbringing. Exactly. And, and I think that is the very first step right there, Meg. Check in with yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about sex? You know, how did you grow up? How did your parents react or talk to you? You know, get comfortable, get in touch with your own feelings so that you can pass on a loving attitude, an open attitude, a fun attitude around sex and have that comfort level of, you know, learning how to speak about sex with each level, each stage of your child's life.
1: I think we'll get into those stages of the lives of like how you can kind of develop that conversation. But I think the key point here is simply to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Is that's number one. And also letting your kids witness it. I think I had such an open understanding about sex and love and intimacy because I witnessed my parents love on each other.
0: Well, not actually the, no, act, not of having, the actual act of having. <laughs> I love, want to clarify but I'm saying, that. But like
1: sex is—it's not just actual intercourse. It is everything that leads up to it. Is—is is the love that encompasses it? It's the physical touch. It's the kissing. It's the hugging. It's everything that then leads to creating a family.
0: Exactly. It's what I call intimacy. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people call intimacy. It's that knowing that just that physical touch is intimate that is craved by every human being and that's where when i started at the very beginning to share you know we are sexual human beings because we crave touch we crave love we crave intimacy we crave all the parts that sex have and it's in our dna to procreate to make babies mm-hmm. and so all of that cycle is normal in life. Yeah. But why do we make it so hard to talk about something that's so special for us as human beings? Let's start making it fun. Exactly. Let's start making that conversation fun. Let's start rewriting the story around it. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent on that Meg. So One of the things, you know, where, you know, where you were saying, you know, where does that begin? Well, each age has different levels to talk about different aspects of sex because our brains aren't wired yet, you know? So let's say we talk about, you know, when you're pregnant, you have a baby, then let's say your second baby shows up. That to me is the most optimum time to start really talking about it with your toddler and toddler through like, you know, early stages of elementary school, because that's when they're super curious, you know, and to sit down and listen to any questions that might come up about, wow, what's growing in mom's belly here? And one of the things that being a teacher that I love are books, and there's so many fabulous books out there, but my very favorite book is called where Did I Come From? And we'll put it in the show notes. It's, it's a super old book. <laughs> but what I loved most about this book, Where Did I Come From, is it's simple facts without any nonsense. It No frills. It's just matter of fact. And the pictures are darling. It's illustrated great. But my kids, every one of them loved it. Loved this book. Where did I come from? Absolutely love this book. It's written by Peter Mayle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll add it in the show notes. I mean, this is an old book. It's so good though, because <laughs> you know, I would just turn the page and you know let Alex just read it, or you know, as we kept having kids and our kids were like, "Well, where did what's happening here with you, mom?" and and it shows everything really, really explicitly, but in a in a wonderful way. And it's a cartoon just, illustrated book too. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, just knowing where to kind of, you know, how far are you going to take it? And the thing with toddlers and elementary, keep it simple to their level, you know, uh, their understanding. Like the first part is, I remember we used to talk about body parts. Yes. And sometimes people give cute names. I know ours was hoo-ha for a vagina. Yeah. And then penis. I don't know what we did. We talked about penis, but you know the Mm -hmm. thing is, is that you just talk about them. You know they they are going to explore. They're going to find others to explore. You know, we were a family of four girls, and you know, I know that there were times, Meg, where you or your sisters, you found that person to explore. What is that body part? (laughs) Well,
1: I think just (laughs) as kids, I mean, like you said, you're curious, and I think you, as curious as your kids are at a very young age, you meet their curiosity. I don't necessarily think you need to overindulge them in information that they're not asking, but I know like having an older sister who would talk about things or bring things up or having four girls and having only a few
0: boys around the neighborhood. I mean, we had 36 kids on uh, on the street and they were 75% 75% were girls.
1: Yeah, there wasn't a lot of boys and that I was surrounded with at all, really in the the first earlier parts of my life I have all girl cousins. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily uh, something I was thrown into. So I wasn't like used to seeing naked boy bodies running around when we were younger. It was just, well, we had friends. We no, had friends totally. that were boys that would come to visit. Totally. But I think like in terms of like the prevalence of it and that curiosity. So like, I know for me, we had these really your best friend, Terry, and her mm-hmm. two sons. One is Alex's age. One's my age. And I I mean, my very first memory of understanding like what is a vagina and what is a penis was slightly traumatic, but sitting <laughs> underneath the tr- the trundle bed in Annie, it was a guest room at the time because Annie and I were sharing, we had bunk beds in my room. And it, Nick and I were like underneath the bed and we're like, what does yours look like? Well, what does your private part look like? Like knowing that it's private and that this is yours, your intimate part, but like not understanding it and just kind of like sitting there looking to be interrupted by Nick's mom, Terry, Crouched under the trundle bed, looking at us, being like, what are you kids doing underneath there? (laughs) And feeling a lot of shame, being like, okay. Um, And just that memory stuck with me. Like, that's the first encounter of sexual
0: exploration I remember. And that was young. I know, but everybody. I remember mine. I was in elementary school exploring. Your sisters all everybody had a buddy that they would explore whether it was same sex, different sex, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. When you're young, this is part of, you know, our, you know, DNA to to explore those things. Yeah. So it's again opportunity, learning opportunity to be able to sit down with your kids and to be able to say, you know what, this is the part in this stage mm-hmm. between the toddlers and the ele- younger elementary school kids, is talk about the private parts. Talk about that, you know, th- the timing of when you can have your own intimate moments so that other people don't have to, you know, watch you do your private, that there's a place for it, whether it's in your own bedroom, wherever it is, not to be made ashamed of it but to know that it's okay. And then also, how do you explain to your kids about letting other people touch you? You know, that's the safety part of it.
1: Definitely. And I think, I mean, I have a girlfriend that does um, like sexual trauma and therapy. And I mean, it's astonishing how young you really do have to Start educating your kids. I mean, there's not, it's never too early, and it's it's really sad that that's the way it is in the society. And the more that we're understanding about, like I said, it was just end human trafficking mm-hmm. day and like world awareness around human trafficking and how young. Mm. I watched the. It's very disturbing video, but I'll, I'll link it below. We'll link it in the podcast, the show notes, but Blake Lively explaining this um, awareness of pedophiles and mm. sexual assaults and how young these kids are being affected. So it's really important to educate them about when to say no, what is what is and isn't appropriate, what is okay, what isn't okay. And that's with other young kid friends or adults. And I think that conversation around it, empowers children to be courageous enough to talk about it. Because so often in these situations, kids are quiet because they feel threatened. Their assaulter is threatening them or their parents' lives. They, It's like if they haven't had this awareness and this is the first experience that they're, they're having and it's very threatening and scary and traumatizing, you need, it's, it's important to have that conversation to know this is what is going on. This is what it is. This is what isn't okay. And, you know, just beginning it, you know, it's awareness around everything. It's generating awareness and to protect
0: your kids. Right. And it's also setting up that, that trust for your kids to be able to come to you that, You know, no matter what, when your kids come to you with any question, Mommy, I'm having a stomachache today. Nope, it's just all in your head. Or, Mom, something really awful happened to me today. I really need to talk to you. You make time for those conversations. Definitely. You know, so that they know and they can trust that you're there to really hear them out Mm -hmm. um, and, and to really talk about it.
1: And I will say, too, that this is something that also can be extremely triggering for you yourself if you've experienced sexual trauma, why you might Mm -hmm. want to be more avoidant in it. And this is where we are such advocates of therapy, Mm -hmm. going to therapy, finding a therapist that you yourself can work through. I feel like I know my mom and I talk about this a lot. Like, I am such a mirror for you. We're mirrors for each other. But Mm -hmm. I think in what I've heard, as I'm not a parent, so I can't like educate on this, but Mm -hmm. (gasps) that children are really mirrors and they teach you a lot. And if there's a lot of stuff that you haven't worked through or things that come up, it's
0: going to come up with kids. Oh, hundred percent it will.
1: And so taking the time to really unpack what it is that you have going on for yourself so that you can work through it and create a positive experience for your children. Because I think everyone's trying to do better,
0: yeah. you know? And just even for my own, I just... Having had an experience, but not knowing I had an experience and talking to my sister about it, talking to those people that could potentially give you insight to something that could have happened around sexuality for, for your own self. I think that that, I, I just remember there was a body part that I didn't like being touched in that area. And I always was so curious about it. Mm-hmm. And I had a conversation with my sister. she oh Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all, we all had a wet nurse. My mm-hmm. mom had a wet nurse because we were all cesarean. And I guess she, she played with all of us inappropriately in that way. And I didn't know it until I was older and I could actually feel okay to ask my own sister, like, do you know anything about this? And she's like, oh yeah. And so it was like, then I could actually work with it, you know, through therapy. But it's like, you, you just never know you know? Uh, and so, you know, we'll get more into that. Well, I think that's like where it comes back to this is like
1: the sexual assaults that happen on children. Mm-hmm. And what we've, in this video, I learned is that you you would think that you'd be able to spot these people that are going to be do these unthinkable acts to children. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they are people that get jobs that are directly associated with kids and yeah. are like the the most unassuming people. And that's why this conversation is so important. And it's not necessarily to scare you, but it's to create awareness around the reality of what's happening. And for so long... So many people have kept silent around it Mm -hmm. because of the shame, because not knowing what to trust. I mean, how often I know I've definitely been in situations where I thought something that had happened to me and you have an adult being like, oh, are you going to trust me or the kid? And it's that, whoa, like that awareness of that trust of, is your parent going to trust me or are they going to trust this professional Mm -hmm. that... Has a lot more eloquent speech and a more developed brain. So we think around this, you know, like yeah. there's just like, there's so much more around it. And I think the more that we can educate and talk about it and release the stigma around what that means, like these victims were had zero control at, like you said, a wet nurse. You can only imagine how young you were when
0: this was, I was happening. Born it was just when i it was at birth this so, all happened and, during birth
1: and that's what i'm saying Maybe. like these things that how can you how can you say that you actually remember that but the reality is it stays in your body like you said i didn't know why i couldn't like i had issues with this body part when it came to like sexual intercourse but you knew the touch mm-hmm. our bodies store memories. They store trauma, especially in those very sensitive parts, like your vagina, like your penis, these Mm -hmm. places that there's so much stored there. Yeah, And the more that you can have the conversations, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we have a whole podcast on forgiveness, but like to let go of that, to know that how could you have been at fault? You you mm-hmm. couldn't have. There's nothing in this world that would like ever generate that behavior. The more that we can start to listen to these victims, listen to these stories, have them be heard. And that's what Blake was talking about in this video is she's like, These things are unimaginable. She talked about children are getting younger and younger because as a culture, we are so desensitized to this. So these people that are into these acts or these things, it's getting more and more horrific and younger to the point where she's like, listen, it's hard as a mom of two to witness this, but we need to. To understand that this is happening and not anywhere else here in the United States, in your home. Yeah. And I just think this this conversation, like I said, it's been abstinence and now it needs to be Mm pro-conversation. And creating this beautiful, loving, safe environment that is, in my opinion, what sex was designed for.
0: bringing more love into this world. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, Megan, I, you know, as I'm hearing you too, it's, I think a lot of times parents give up their ability to communicate and teach their kids to either a religious person or, you know, a school teacher that's teaching sex education. And, you know, we made that decision, a long time ago when we started our family meetings and creating these places for foundational you know this table to be able to have these conversations with and i want to you know really encourage parents out there with it doesn't matter like Meg said it doesn't matter how young it is but just talking about it and you know that kind of brings us to you know the next level mm-hmm. of the next stage of The elementary school and the middle school kids. For me personally, this was such a fun age. I loved being a middle school teacher from I had kids when they were sixth grade to all the way to ninth grade. And I was a special needs teacher. And one of my favorite things, and I think theirs too, because it was just probably not happening at their house, but was to be able to have conversations around sex. But this is, I believe, when the foundation is the most important, you know, because, th- you know, your kids, if they're, you know, you're in your house and they're going to start asking questions because kids naturally start talking about it. You know, isn't it like, I, I think it was like, um, what, spin the bottle? And go into the dark room. There's oh, all these seven games. minutes of heaven. Seven minutes S- in heaven. Uh huh. Yeah, because your hormones, you know, come come anywhere from like. Well, I know I and developed also, at eleven years old. Yeah. Alex developed at eleven years old. I mean, I was a very late bloomer.
1: I did not junior year in high school <laughs> to say the <a, laughs> right. To, just to give you perspective of how late of a bloomer I was, but I think that's um, kids are. Even now, because of YouTube and stuff online, oh. are being exposed to sexualized content a lot younger. Also, I think oh, again, this desensit desensitization. Why am I? I can't. Des- Whatever you guys. Des- what desensitization. I mean. Yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um, it, things are getting more and more risque, and kids are being exposed to that. And it's just, yeah, it's it's the reality of it. So you have to imagine mixed in with hormones, mixed in with new classes and all of the things in your brain developing and your body developing.
0: You got, you got questions. Well, and now with COVID, hello. As parents, you know, you want to keep having, you know, your intimate life happening and you have kids and I'll never forget, you know, the time that I don't know who walked in on daddy and me, you know? And so it's like, how do you be able to be okay with having intimacy in COVID? And when stuff does like that happen, and it's very possible it can happen. And, you know, if you forget in a heated moment to lock your door and your kid comes in and it's like, wow, okay, that's it. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) That's just happening. Ooh, you know? And so it's like, Having your kid feel safe enough to experience whatever it is that they're going to experience. Well, and to talk
1: about it, to ask questions about it. I think that's, again, creating a safe space. That's the foundation that she's talking about, that we talked about in episode five, that it's like, how do you create a safe space with your family? So we definitely go back and check that out. Right. Um, I and love that. And and again, that's
0: building the trust
1: too. Definitely. That is what I was going to say next. It's like, mm-hmm. they, they learn kids learn how to trust you based off of your reactions and the, the willingness that you are to go deeper into that conversation with them and really to like hear them out. I always love being like, well, what do you think it is? Instead of just like off the put, like off the cuss or whatever, being like, what have you heard? Mm-hmm. I'd love to know, like asking kids, like, cause like I said, they're talking, they're, they have a lot of access to information Like ask him a question, like, how do you know about this? Another way, who did you hear this from? Like start getting to know your kids and where they're getting their information from and who's talking to them about it. Because again, that's a a safety thing as well.
0: Well, yeah, because it could be misinformation, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think too, the other thing that helps build the trust with your kids and what you talk about with your kids is the consistency. I mean, we had our family meeting every week hooker by crook. You know, if it was 20 minutes or an hour and a half, I love we your had slogans, it. hooker by crook. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> That's an oldie. Yeah, That's an oldie. But one of the things is, is that parenting is our job. I've repeated this too. It's not our job to be your kid's friends. It's our job to love them, to protect them, to clothe them, house them, feed them, nourish them. But And and I think those are the boundaries as parents, because what happens is when you become your kid's friend at a young age, it it causes confusion. It causes confusion and there's just a lot of mixed messages there. And so by being able to set the boundaries young, you know, be consistent with your conversations and then letting them know there is no such thing as a stupid or silly question. I think that was really important too.
1: I love that. Yeah. I mean, it goes, that's the blessing of you being a teacher, you know?
0: Yeah. I've always said, I I am so grateful to have had the education that I had in a classroom before I became a parent. Everyone that was never a, a school teacher had any kind of education like that. Like I'm thinking we need to really create that model for kids in high school You know, I know that, you know, we're going to get there and talk about the high school age. Mm -hmm. Um, There were things, but again, it wasn't, um, it was always about, like you said, abstinence. It wasn't about the real deal.
1: I feel like, yeah, the, the baseline of it, similarly with D.A.R.E., the drug program, was all about instilling fear around these topics instead of really understanding and having like this like, very positive, loving view of it. And that's what, I mean, there's so much changing and shifting in this world right now. And I hope, I pray that that's the evolution of this, Mm -hmm. that we, and what I truly believe is happening, we are shifting from a more fear-based to a more loving society Mm -hmm. and more inclusive, accepting, and honest. Oh
0: my gosh, Megan, I just had this memory this week Someone sent me, and maybe it was you, about um prison mates. Was that you? Yes. Oh my goodness, so there, perfect example of this woman has created a program with all of these uh, prisoners. Um, inmates. Inmates, mm-hmm. with literally thousands of them. And this incredible woman has created this program to find out what was the root cause of all of this. And what she has come to find out in these questions, you know, we can link this again too, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is how they were parented and the things that happened to them as children, whether they were, you know, what? I think the base root, what it came down to was the word was shame.
1: Yeah. Shame. There's so much shaming in our culture. And then on social media and, and mm. our society for quite frankly a lot of situations that were out of our control. And I'm sorry, I'm fucking over it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the rest of the world is too. And we're like giving the big middle finger to enough of that. I am not gonna be tied to this story anymore that mm. was keeping me in this box. This cage that I never asked to be put inside.
0: Can you explain that a little bit more? What was this box? What was this?
1: Well, cage? I'm thinking like, you know, we are taught to be and I'm going to say this in quotes, good girls. Mm. You know?
0: Yeah, I was a good girl.
1: I was a <laughs> I was a good girl until I wasn't a good girl and got myself <laughs> in trouble in high school trying to push the boundaries and develop myself, my own identity. But I think a lot of that definition—you think about the structures that are set up in our society that are really defining the way we view ourselves and how something is, and
0: specifically, like with sex, church.
1: right? So religion—you mm-hmm. think about religion. You think about school. Mm-hmm. You think about—I mean, it—it it goes all the way back to like being a good girl. Good girls
0: don't don't do that.
1: Don't do that. Good girls don't do that. Good girls you are nice you are polite polite to the fault that you won't be trusting your gut instinct that you will put yourself in very compromising situations with uncomfortable overbearing large men sometimes that will get you into trouble Mm -hmm. and then here you have shame because well you let that happen to you I can't even tell you how many times the story is trying to be twisted in rape victims or things like that, that it was like, well, she was drunk. I'm sorry.
0: Or she dressed a certain way and she looked You're a scandalous. Yeah.
1: You dress with too much cleavage or showing your body. Well, it's just like, I'm sorry. No. This is the story we've been fed. This is the box we've been put in. And that's why I'm saying I'm over it.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. And
1: so that's kind of where it comes into, again, just this this understanding and awareness of why we feel the way we do. Where did these initial awarenesses around sexuality in society came from? And I mean, even to the point where it's like, boys are with girls. I'm sorry. We're really shaking that one up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) And I
1: fucking love it. Yeah. Because like, how boring is it to have one fucking story?
0: Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I'm so happy that you brought that up too, because I think everything in our society right now is being ripped to shreds.
1: Definitely. I think one of my favorite quotes around sex is in one of the Sex in the City movies where they're talk or in Sex in the City, and it's like, Samantha was the first character that was like, and Carrie were like these sexual beings and it was ones. like accepted. It, it wasn't, they did it in such a beautiful manner. And when she's talking about, they're talking about with Charlotte's daughter about, Oh, we're coloring. And, and Samantha goes, I love coloring out of the lines, using all of the colors in the crayon box. And it's like, <laughs> she's talking about sex and it's
0: like, fuck. Yeah. It's, it's super colorful. Oh my god, I love that so It's so much. good. Well, and you know that that's part of it too. Is is what's being presented, and you know how it how it's just shifting and changing because of you know all the difference of you know lesbian, gay, transgender, LGBT, yeah, LGBTQ plus, you know, yes, all of all it. the different identities. Yeah, no one person fits in one box. Mm-mm. You know, and and I think that's what. um our society wanted to do is, you know, here's a square and here's the round peg and you cannot fit that square in that round peg, no matter how hard you try and push, right? Yeah. And so I think now this is what's coming up. Totally. This, again, it's we've created this
1: awareness. We've said enough is enough. Uh-huh. We're talking about our traumas. We're talking about our cages that we've been in and let us be who we're meant to be. Let us figure it out for ourselves. We might not even need to know who, we're, who we want to be, but let us explore freely.
0: Right, and not put, again, going back to as parents, putting your fears, your agenda, what they should be, what they're gonna look like, what they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. By putting that on them, you you um, stifle their ability to really grow into who they really are meant to be.
1: Yes, and I think you did such a beautiful job not making it awkward mm. and having Thank it you. be a, not a taboo conversation. I mean, as as we've kind of progressed from like elementary now going into middle school, when all of this stuff really starts happening, I mean, you think about dress codes there and of itself is the first box we get put into of you got to have your skirt can't be below your hands on your thighs. and. You can't have your cleavage out. You can't have midriff showing. I mean, who knows what the rules are now?
0: The thing is, is that yes, as a parent, you know, when you we live at the beach, and when the thong came, <laughs> the thong or the Brazilian bathing suits, yeah. And I would say, okay, girls, you know, to walk down to the beach, can you just like cover up when you walk down to the beach when you're like twelve? Because, you know, once everyone started developing, we have four daughters with, you know, very well endowed and voluptuous bodies and we got good goddesses, (laughs) breasticles. Yes. And it's like, it's so amazing. But as a parent, though, again, my safety hat is on and I'm looking at these men watching you. And Mm -hmm. yes, I have fear that does arise that, okay, what's my responsibility as a parent at that moment to say, you know what, you guys, you need to just wear something over that so that your ass isn't hanging out, walking down to the beach four blocks, passing a a busy street and having some guy potentially, you know, go after you.
1: You are very, a great mom. You were very um, good at having us be aware about it. And when, let's just put it this way, when me and my sisters were whistled out or hoot and hollered at, we didn't stay quiet, <laughs> to say the least. We had no problem talking back about how much we did not like that. And I think that v- being vocal about what you're comfortable with, again, this is going to come into kind of like the next part of this conversation, mm-hmm. is speaking up about what's not okay, about not being like what you're not comfortable with being like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's like the same thing. It's like, just because I'm wearing something that's promiscuous, isn't an invitation for you to touch my body. Isn't an invitation for you to say something to me,
0: you know? Well, and I think that is, you know, the beauty of all you girls, you know, being able to be comfortable with your bodies and me as a parent, not to stifle your comfort level with who you are. Because I think that, Is a very important part as when you're in, especially let's say middle school, when middle school can be such a touch and go emotional roller coaster because of all the uh, hormones that are raging and you know, you're, you're just trying to fit in and you know, like that. And so it's, there's a fine line of not shaming your Mm -hmm. child, Mm -hmm. but to teach them safety and understanding and, you know, and having them trust you.
1: Also, we were a little bit more liberal here being that we grew up in a beach community and running up from the beach to the shops downtown. I mean, I was barefoot for four or five months out of the year. Like it just, you were living in a bathing suit because you're running up down to the ocean, up to the house, down to the, over to your friends, riding your bikes. Like we yeah. were just living in bikinis, you know? So I, I think that too was part of getting comfortable in in our, bo- in our mostly naked
0: bodies. Um, and, and I think that's what I remember about my dad. So my yeah. dad would be like on my shoulders. I mean, it, well, he was still alive then if he, mm-hmm. you know, he'd be like, okay, Papa's coming. You need to kind of, kind of bundle up a little bit here because I wanted to respect his values, but I also didn't totally. want to put his values on my children. Because I really wanted you to be comfortable in your bodies.
1: And I love that so much. And that's part of parenting. It's like, you know, you got to remember your parents are only doing from like from what they knew. And then like that's Mm -hmm. what they were raised with. You got to think about dating back to the time that they grew up in and like to think that. Elvis Presley used to be really scandalous music. Like you kind of just got to go back to that. Like that wasn't Mm -hmm. that long ago. That really wasn't that long ago. And so you just kind of have to kind of evolve with the times. And I do think again, as we've become a lot more sexual, a lot more desensitized to this,
0: that's that word I wanted. um, Oh, desensitized. (laughs) Yeah. yes. That's
1: how we can educate children.
0: Right. So Getting back to the education. So when I was a special ed teacher, I would have these special ed times with my kids. And I remember having so much fun with them. We would go in a little closet room, kind of a way not to be interrupted. And I just allowed them to ask me questions. And we would laugh about things and we would share things and, you know, talk about their, you know, whatever they needed to hear That really helped me a lot. And I mean, my favorite one, I, I always, was was like, well, like what happens? Like, you know, if you're giving someone head and you, you eat, you know, and the semen is in your mouth, are you going to die from semen? (laughs) And I just sat there and I was with the straightest face, with the straightest face. I'm like, I didn't say it, but you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm okay. I'm still here. But no, you won't die. <laughs> <laughs> you won't die. I promise you won't Gosh, die. I but love it.
1: What if you ever get like questions from a kid that you feel like is a little too,
0: it's above their age? Well, then I want to kind of like, ask, you know, where did you hear that from? Got you know, it. because then that's going to be a red flag for me. Are things okay at home? I love that. As well, a teacher. Yeah,
1: asking the kids. If, like, you have a kid that you're like, that feels a little lo- young for you to be asking about that. Yeah. We're like, maybe pulling them aside. So, again, you're not trying to shame them. Yes. But having a more private conversation with them, being like, where did you hear about this? Exactly. What's, what's prompting this question and also addressing it with that kid. So that you're helping other kids not be exposed to something way too young. I mean, like the innocence of children is so pure. It's like, you want to preserve that for as long as possible. And really a lot, like you're saying, allowing them to ask you the questions and really allowing them to guide the
0: conversation. Yeah.
1: With putting in safety protocols and Boundaries and how to appropriately say, this isn't okay with me. No, Mm -hmm. no, knowing that you can say no to adults. Yes. And that, that like that awareness, that body awareness. Yeah.
0: It's, it's really great. And then when it came to my own family at that Mm -hmm. time during those ages, middle school ages, the book came out again. They wanted to see those when it was an ew picture back then became a, oh. Is that how babies are made? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. developmentally, now they get, they understand it more. And unfortunately, because, you know, I hope every parent that's listening, you know, you have those things on your computers so that your kids can't. Firewalls or like blocks. That doesn't, oh, because I'll never forget that time when, you know, the boys were here and all of a sudden we kept seeing, you know. Oh, porn. Porn show up all of a sudden on our. Family computers because the boys went on it and it was like we couldn't get it off it and we had no clue.
1: And I think that's, again, a part of the desensitization with ourself and our society that the p- pornography is so prevalent. Yeah. And it's something that, unfortunately, it seems like... <laughs> how can, like, kids are going to be exposed to it at some point or another, like, young, like, adults at some point or going to know about it or hear about it. So it's like, have the conversation. And I love what you were talking, you know, you want to get into, like, what are these different bases? Like, how do you explain it to kids to understand progression of sex?
0: Oh, my gosh. It was so funny, you know, sitting on the bed with um, one of the girls and them coming to me and going, so... What's first base? What's second base? What's third base, Mom? What's fourth base? And I said, Well, what do you know? And so, you know, of course, it, it, they w- they could understand first and second base of being, you know, first you kiss, then you touch, you know. But then the third and the fourth kind of got all mixed up. But you know, just this is what it is, and you know. And then they start asking the questions about, well, you know, what is masturbation, Mom? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was an interesting conversation about, you know, being able to share about masturbation and, and actually my own self checking in because, you know, I look at myself as very prudish. I, you know, we weren't a family, you know, daddy and I wasn't, you know, the, that type of person that watch porn ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we had our own wonderful, you know, we have our own wonderful relationship with sex, sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so, You know, again, like you said before, the mirror shows up. Where are you at with that? Where are you at with pleasing yourself? You know, there's a lot of people that today don't have a partner. And so I, I find those conversations, if you were to have that conversation with your young child and as they grow up and let's say they're not in a relationship, how are you going to please yourself and not be ashamed of pleasing yourself? Like to me, that is like, would be so helpful in today's world.
1: Totally. But it's also like you said, you know, as a parent that didn't necessarily practice that type of self pleasure. Right. And how do you then maintain open hearted and open mind for your child that wants to explore it? And I think that's again, also talking about like in your own private space. Exactly. And this is like, creating, I don't know, like uh, cold words or things that like you don't have to like disturb them. I mean, in our household, there was a lot of rules when it came to boys being upstairs once it hit middle school and just a, like keeping doors open versus doors being closed and, you know, being by yourself or whatever it is, you know, it's like you got to kind of have that conversation with your partner or yourself and see like, So that you don't have to necessarily, you can avoid those uncomfortable situations and really have it be like,
0: this is where you can be safely doing it. Right. And, and that's just it is that communication, you know, it it will all go back to that communication about, you know, talking about it, being comfortable with it, you know, because then, then what comes next of part of those conversations that I remember that I would have with all of you is, you Mm -hmm. know, well, some of you had it with me, some of you didn't, but it was, you know, when to have sex, you know? Totally. What is an orgasm? What does it feel like? You know, all those questions that were so important.
1: But also I love this too, because I don't ever think I necessarily asked you those questions. Mm -hmm. I think, um my older sister might have. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, it was like, I got that education from my sister. And in some ways, like I said before, like my body didn't fully develop until my junior year, going into my senior year of high school. I also had like a lot of health issues. I was like, Always sick. I, I didn't necessarily have the best relationship with my body. I was bulimic. I like had all sorts of different disorder eatings. Like I was just one of those kids that wasn't, didn't fully come into my own. Honestly, until after college, like I can say I began loving my body after college, not to say I wasn't comfortable in my body because I was always a naked person always naked around the house I felt more comfortable out of clothes than in clothes and I think that also again played part to this like box we're supposed to be in that society put on us back in the day you have to be a size x and weigh this much and all the cosmo quizzes and things that you did cosmopolitan was another great magazine that was good (laughs) sex education yes (laughs) I loved that um But those are kind of the things like, where did you learn from? And for me, I learned a lot from my older sister and asking these questions. I do remember it was so funny. There's one time in middle school, it's always like the more traumatic things that you remember Mm -hmm. when you pulled me aside after like, I went to the movie theaters with friends one time and you're like, a mother told me that you're giving head in the movie theater to the boys. And I was like, (laughs) what's head? Oh my God. And like you had to then explain it to me. And I was like, uh, yuck. No, definitely <laughs> not. I was like, whoa, <laughs> what rumors are being spread about me? And I think as parents too, you can get caught up in it. I'm sorry. Like gossip is gossip and it never ends at any age. I hope it does because it is not not positive or supportive for anybody. No. And rumors getting spread. I feel like that's something too. Like I said, even though I had, I might not have been so comfortable in my body or like really loved my body. I appreciated it to a certain extent. I loved being naked. I really understood what I was comfortable with and wasn't comfortable with. I was, as I was still developing and figuring myself out, but you always were so, you know, being one of four girls, you can't help but be compared not only by family members, but by the rest of our community and people that were around. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all attractive women Mm -hmm. and all very different, very similar, but very different. And especially, I mean, if you've ever seen photos of Alex and I from young kids, like I was like, blonde toe head, fair, fair skin. And here's Alex, who is so ethnically ambiguous, so dark skin tone, dark hair, very exotic features. Like we couldn't have looked any different. (laughs) So Um, true. And so like as that as well, like as you develop and you like learn, like what are people attracted to? What do people like? What are the, what are the images I'm seeing that is beautiful being portrayed back to me. And I just love that you always made us feel so confident in ourselves, always telling each of us individually how beautiful we were and accepting our freckles or curves or not yet having curves or whatever it was, like just really emphasizing how beautifully unique
0: we all were i'm glad that you remember that cuz i think that is really really important and i think that's part of how children need to be seen yeah and heard mm-hmm. and spoken to because that's the part of love
1: mm-hmm. is that
0: communication
1: i love that
0: hmm. so the last stage that we're going to kind of talk about a little bit here um I'm so enjoying this conversation. <laughs> me too. I hope it's you guys like like are memory, as well. I love this. Memory lane here for me. Yeah. Uh, is high school and you know, high school, it, it's a challenge. It can be, but it's also known, you know, it, the challenging years. And I say that with all love and respect for children because it's, it's important. It's part of their learning to separate. It's a natural you know, time in their lives to become more independent and to become themselves. It's their becoming. And in those four years, they're learning how to leave you. And for a lot of people, that's a really hard concept. Mm -hmm. It's a very hard concept. What do you mean they're going to leave me? They're never going to. I'm going to go to college with them. I'm like, no, you're not going to college. You're going to start your own life, depending on if you have more kids at home. You know, Tim and I couldn't wait to be empty nesters, but we also loved each of our kids at different, you know, all these different phases. But it was, you know, once they hit 14, 15, 16, they are cutting that umbilical cord as hard as they can. And either you're going to fight back and it's going to be a tug of war, mm-hmm. or you're going to embrace it and be okay with these hard times as parents. And that's when, again, the foundation plays a heart, you know, that role, the trusting, they mean, they know that what you say is true, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are the things around the sexuality that's going to start happening. Because if you're a parent that, oh, no, my kid's not going to do that. Oh, my, my kid doesn't do that. I'm like, don't be fooled. Yeah. Believe that your kid will try anything and everything unless... You know you know different. That's where the open
1: conversation comes from. You yes. know that's really where, and you know quite frankly, like we definitely struggled i I can say as an observer, as a daughter, from as open minded and as like you were my parent and the the every time I feel like I drank in high school, I got caught and got grounded, and to the point where it then was assumed I had a drinking problem mm-hmm. because. I would say I did not like, did not want to get any friends in trouble and say I was drinking by myself so that I could still go to friends' houses or whatever that I was in therapy talking to a therapist about this. And, you know, it's, it's, how do you maintain that even during these challenges? Cause like you said, like for me, like you're still developing, you're still Hormones are still changing. Things are happening around you. You're observing people that maybe it's, maybe you don't have an older sister, but, or an older brother, but you have a friend that you know that is becoming promiscuous or whatever. And these things, it's like that level of comfort and trust that you have with your parents to be able to talk about these things and really express where you're at in that stage and being like, listen, I might not be doing it now, but like when I get there, I want to talk to you about it. Like having that safety that is just, it's so important and so cherished because it does make you bond and it makes you appreciate your parent more. They're there parenting you and telling you, leading the way, really educating you so that it can be a little bit easier in really challenging times. And I think that it's, it's that listening to them, mm-hmm.
0: giving them the time, mm-hmm. you know, really showing them that they matter. And, and it comes at different times and you have to be really aware of when your child, you know, wants to be able to have conversations with you. And I've heard this a lot between, you know, daughters and sons, mm-hmm. very different, you know, yeah. sons being less vocal than their daughters. And, you know, my sons never talk to me. And it, it it depends on the relationship, again, that you've developed with your sons, because I see it differently with Tim and his five brothers are very close with, you know, grandma. And, you know, again, it's grandma was there. She was always there. You could always talk to her about anything. And so it's, again, being available for your kids. And I think...
1: Also, I was going to say too, being available. So say you're not a stay-at-home mom that can be there day in and day out throughout the entire things. Making it a priority to make time to have those conversations before you're getting them ready for bed, as you're getting them ready in the morning, wherever you can find those moments. It doesn't have to be this big thing, but just like checking in and asking them, like I said, how are you doing with this? What's going on with you? Like
0: making the time where you can. Every day. Every day. Yeah. It's that consistency. Mm -hmm. Because when it's kind of hit and miss, by the time they get to high school, they don't trust that you're really there. You know?
1: And there's so many activities and other things and stress. My God.
0: I know. Being a high school
1: kid right now, it just feels Mm. even more stressful. The pressure of how,
0: how do you get into college these days? Like it's insanity. Well, and, and, and all the extracurriculars. Well, but I, I'm going to keep it to the sex here because totally. it's you're you're separated from all your friends. You know, you're not supposed to be hanging around and, you know, being with your friends and and how do you have you mean you know, separated from your friends. Well, they're not going to school. I mean, there's some states that <gasps> oh, aren't oh, going yeah, right to Oh, right now in
1: COVID. I'm like, what do yeah, you mean like COVID? not going with your friends? I was like, I'm pretty
0: <laughs> sure in school, you're with all your friends all the time. Right, but they're not in mm. a lot of schools Very are, true. are not going to be and so, you know, it's it's that. So, they're they're not going to be having what we call a normal high school experience right now. Well, so, and how do you get creative to allow your children to still
1: have those experiences with their friends and good old playdates. Yeah. (laughs) Allowing them to still see the handful of friends, whatever you feel comfortable with, you know, social distancing or not. Outside. Outside, still doing things that they can have that social exposure because I've been talking to a lot of my friends about this. Like, it's so unfortunate this... This year that has basically been missed in school because so many things are happening there. So much. It's not just the books and the, what we're learning in the classroom. It's the experience of the social dynamics in high school
0: and the development of relationships, mm-hmm. you know? And how do you keep those relationships going? And don't be fooled to think that just because your kids
1: FaceTiming their friends or following them, liking their posts on Instagram, it is not the same as in-person connection.
0: It's true. So how do we teach our kids at that next level Mm -hmm. within the high school about sexuality at this point? And I think it's so critical at this point.
1: Yeah, I think
0: this is where it needs to be no more fluff. It has to be really direct and honest. Well, because I remember like before you get to high school, you have that sex education and they separate the boys. Didn't they separate the boys and the girls? Boys and girls. And then you watch that movie Mm -hmm. on sex. Mm -hmm. And was it real? Like, like, was it like? I don't don't remember. remember. I don't remember remember what it was
1: like, but I do. I feel like it was. It's not like actors. I don't think it's real actors. One that I saw, I think it
0: was like. But they don't get into the actual act of sexuality. They just talk about what you said before.
1: No, I think they're talking about
0: don't do it.
1: Yeah, don't do it. And I think it's more so understanding like this is the fallopian tube and the egg
0: drops and this is the. It's more the biology. It's so scientific and not practical. Right. And, and then they, I think they talk about STDs and they talk about all the things, the bad parts about fear, it. Fear, fear,
1: fear. <laughs> right. You can get pregnant, teen pregnancies. Right. Also, I mean, you think about the flip side again, 16 and pregnant, like these shows that almost like glorified teen pregnancies. It's like, I mean, this is where you have to be such an advocate to your kids education at home and really doing, giving the information that you can to the best of your ability, educate your kids in a loving
0: way. That's right. Your values, your core values. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, teaching about protection, you know, all the different things about protection, because it's better for them to have the knowledge about it from you than let's say they're in a situation and they're going to have sex and they don't have a clue about how to be protected properly.
1: Yeah. And I think that's also a problem. It's like, especially with, young girls women getting put on birth control as the only form of contraception protection and it's like okay well I wasn't never on birth control you never put me on those synthetic hormones and also messing with your body like the fact that like okay you have severe acne and the way that the doctors want to cure it is to put you on birth control I'm sorry I'm just let's look at it let's look deeper into what's happening and in addition when it comes to sex how I've been reading this book, Woman Code, by Lisa Vitti, and because I've had friends that are trying to get pregnant, can't get pregnant, their periods are off. And I, I learned a lot about, you know, this in regulating hormones and understanding your body's cycles of menstruation and like what does that look like? And the reality I remember so vividly, it was probably in high school, maybe later. It had to be later because it was like when my cousin started trying to get pregnant and she like broke it down, being like, You're actually ovulating this many days of the month. And if you know, if you can track it, I mean, there's apps today to like get your high school girl on an app to track her period, to understand her moods, to understand this is the time of the week when you're actually fertile and pregnant can get pregnant more easily. And these are condoms. This is the pullout method. These are all these ways to educate yourself to not make a baby,
0: right? (laughs) Because, you know, at the end of the day, consequences happen. But also let's even get rid of that. It doesn't have to be a consequence Well, because babies are beautiful. Well, babies are beautiful, but at 16, you know, those are the things. It's like when you choose to have sex at a young age, You need, I just want to
1: eliminate. It's not consequences. It's like, but it is the results because what are you going to say? Every, the consequence of sex is a baby. No, that's the, the, let's, okay. End goal of sex is baby. We're trying to procreate. That's why we feel this insane urge to get it on with somebody. Like, (laughs) we want, we want to. Right, re- recreate. We want to <laughs> replicate. We want to have the children. It's like, like you keep saying in our DNA. But so, what I think it is is that you can understand
0: how it actually happens, right? So, and it's being it it has a sense of responsibility attached to it, definitely. And so, yes, okay. So maybe the word consequence <laughs> is more about being responsible and yes. knowing the end result can happen if you're not having all of the knowing about your body, like I love what you're saying about the app Mm -hmm. and having kids and especially girls understanding another level of their body. A hundred percent. Which I think is so great, but then also understanding the responsibility of what happens if you're not protected. Definitely. And it's,
1: I like that. It's like, this is what can happen if you're not taking... These precautions.
0: Right. So if you know, let's say, you know, you're like all the girls, you know, had boyfriends throughout high school. And with each one, I sat them down and say, so where are you at? You know, it's like, where are you at? Are you, are you ready or have you had sex yet? Are you, you know, do we need to go to Planned Parenthood? These are the things that you have to do. It wasn't about no, don't have it. It was about, I wanted you to know that this is a decision that you're making. It's a big decision Mm -hmm. and you need to be protected. And that to me was my role as a mom to help you.
1: Which is so important. And I also like, I mean, again, like I said, I was a very late bloomer. I didn't have sex until my end of high school, my senior year. I was 17 with my boyfriend and it was one of those things like as you would talk to me about it, I was like, no, I'm not ready. No not ready. I haven't found that person yet. And I think that's where it comes back to also being strong, independent and not even independent, strong self-aware. It's very self-aware. I knew from witnessing what my sister experienced, witnessing what my friends were experiencing to then knowing what I wanted my experience to be like. And also just understanding that I wasn't Necessarily ready for that yet. And also being able to say, like, there were plenty of times with boys where it was going past second base. And I was like, I'm not okay with this and being able Mm -hmm. to say, like, I'm not comfortable and not feeling shame around that because I had already had conversations with friends, with sisters, with my mom talking to my friends about it that I was able to, to use my voice.
0: Yeah. And you had developed core values for yourself mm-hmm. because you grew your own self esteem. You had the confidence and the power within yourself, Meg, to do those things. Definitely, and I think that's what we want for our kids mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So, a couple other things in high school that I think are really important: um, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yes, yeah, sex, <laughs> drugs, and rock and roll. Absolutely. Well, and I think I think our our family situation is different than a lot of other family situations let's say you don't have you know a family that's communicative you know where where are you getting your or information or just say you
1: don't have two parents that are still
0: married at home or right. whatever your modeling has been you so know so where are you going to go and i just really want to say that every person in our life that we come in contact with makes an impression on our life
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether it's you know, the parents, your grandparents, you can have an auntie, and uncle, cousins, siblings, teachers, and teachers, I mean teachers, if you've gone to religious school or teachers at regular school, coaches even, and your friends. For sure. All of those people can have a huge impact on helping you create these core values and some identity. Yeah, your identity. And sometimes if you're not comfortable, let's say with your parent, then make someone else available. To them, because I know in a lot of cultures the grandparents live at home, an auntie mm-hmm. live at home. There's other people within that home setting that could be that person for your child, a mentor, if you're not yes, a guidance counselor, something, yeah. someone to you know that you feel comfortable with mm-hmm. if you're not
1: available. I love that. And that's totally removing the ego of the situation. If something, if you are still dealing with trauma, still trying to figure it out yourself, releasing that shame around not for your own sake to protect yourself, to not spread shame or anything onto your child, to really appoint an advocate for your children's sex education.
0: Yeah. So I think, I think that is like really, you know, it, it, It's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, Mm -hmm. but just know that there are people available to be able to help out, you know, in support. And and what I didn't say there either was like the the therapist or someone like that that could do that.
1: And I think, yeah, what you said, you know, it all comes back to helping your child build self-confidence because that's like people always ask, like even my girlfriends that were like, what do you mean you have an eating disorder, but like you are so comfortable going to the beach and being in a bikini or whatever. It was like, that was something else I was dealing with. I had a level of confidence and communication because I have the practice. And I do, for my own understanding, don't think that they're synonymous or together. I think you can be a confident being that's struggling and dealing with other issues. And I think the, the oh, yeah. importance of building your child up, making, helping create a confident child to grow into a confident woman or man and respectful. So much of it was respect. And again, we didn't really go into this, but like consent of like what is okay and really being aware of other people's feelings and emotions when it comes into it. And like we said, like also being aware that if your child is uncomfortable in having the conversation, like finding somebody else that can talk to them about it or, or just like not trying to press it. And like really allowing them to come to you and, but just being available, I think is so important in
0: all of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we had so many kids and because you had so many friends and, you know, Mm -hmm. we saw so many different relationships with kids and their parents and it was really hard. And when the communication wasn't there with their parents, they were able to come to our house and be able to talk about it. You know, that was really helpful because kids need to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. They need to know that there's a place to go because... If they don't, they might gravitate to things that aren't healthy. They might gravitate to unhealthy relationships with friends that, you know, ooh, this is cool. They're paying attention to me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's what we want to help avoid our children. To, you know, because there's always that fear. Well, if I send my kids to this school, maybe they'll avoid the kids that are doing drugs and the kids that are doing this. And I'm going to tell everywhere. you right now, <laughs> not happening. It is everywhere. Yeah. And so it, it has to come from the foundation to which you've raised your children. Yeah. And for them to be able to know that they have someone to go to. They're being seen.
1: Yep. They're being held accountable. They're mm-hmm. heard. You are available. And I yeah. think, you know, this conversation, it has been the longest one we've had yet, but oh I just, goodness. I love it so much. We're both so passionate about it. This is definitely not the end of this sex series, as we're going to call it. I just think that the more we talk about it, the more we create a, create an awareness, the more we get rid of the shame and really come back to the root of love, of creation and We're letting go of consequences and going into beauty, you know, behind this procreation. And I think that this is what the world needs. And we're here for you. We will link everything that we talked about in the show notes. We are trying our best to get our somatic sex therapist on the podcast, other people to talk about it. We're going to do another part to this more about intimacy and dating and Pegs wants to talk about the big O.
0: <laughs> well, not just about orgasm, but just, you know, look, when you here you have these parts where you have your you've raised your kids, now you're an empty nester. How do you create you know, a juicy relationship with your husband and keep it going. Such a good one for you. I would love, you know, having a family, making babies. I think
1: I have at 31 years old, not yet married, not yet having children and so much fear around like the age and the reality about the difficulty getting pregnant as we get older. You know, just the (laughs) truth. She has a note saying about the truth about babies is, you know, we want to be able to explore all these conversations with you. And we look, we so look forward to having more of these conversations with you. If you found this supportive, helpful, insightful, share it. Share it with your family members. Share it with your friends. If you liked this episode, please rate and review it. Take a screenshot. We'll send you something fun. And if you don't subscribe, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. So every week when we upload a new one, you get it notified, get uploaded into your queue on whatever Apple or podcast platform you listen to these on. And I just want to say thank you, mom, for always having these conversations with me. You know, if Mm -hmm. we can do it, mother, daughter, the generational gap and all these things, like it's not weird because we haven't made it weird.
0: That's right we made it fun, juicy, and delicious. Yes. Just like life is made to be.
1: <laughs> I love it. And we love you. We'll see you in the next one.